Welcome to the Courtside Culture Podcast, where we talk about using communication and the power of positive psychology to build a great team culture. Hey, Hoopheads, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Courtside Culture. Be sure to check out these other coaching-focused podcasts on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com podcast, Players Court, Bleachers and Boards, and The Green Light. You can also check out our NBA-focused podcasts, including Knock a Few Buck, Cavalier Central, 305 Culture, Spanning the Spurs, Hashtag Lakers, Motor City Hoops, X's and O's NBA Breakdown, LA Hoops, The Wizards Hoops Analyst, At the Buzzer, and Lakers Fast Break. Oh, don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoop Heads podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. Hey, Hoop Heads, we all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com slash team pricing to learn more. That's A-R-Y-S-E dot com. Hello and welcome to the Courtside Culture Podcast. I'm Dave Grinjinski and today we're talking to Jamie Beckler. Jamie is not only the host of the Success is a Choice podcast, he is also a professional speaker, a leadership trainer, and executive business coach who works with teams ranging from major corporations to the NBA. He's been a player, he's been a coach, and an administrator on the high school and college level, and now he combines his unique experiences to take teams and their leaders to the next level. Jamie, thank you so much for joining us on the Courtside Culture Podcast. Dave, I really appreciate you having me. Man, that was a, that was a great intro. I appreciate that. That, uh, that made me feel good. I was wondering who you were talking about there for a minute. I, I got I to gotta give that to my wife, let her listen to that. Well, don't sell yourself short because you, in my eyes, you are the perfect guest for this podcast because you're a basketball junkie who knows the ins and outs of the business world. And so, Jamie, my first question for you is, how did you get to where you are today? (laughs) Great question. Um, I ask myself that every day. But, uh, you know, I I was a a longtime college basketball coach, became a high school athletic director for a couple years, and then uh, I transitioned into owning my own business, uh, leadership development, leadership consulting. So I've been doing that for the last four years. That's that's the 30,000 foot view of it. But, uh, you know, I, I, I played every sport growing up pretty much. And, you know, I wanted to be a professional athlete like everybody else. And so I was like, well, if I'm not a professional athlete, then I'll just end up being a coach. And, and so early on, some of my coaches let me know that probably I would be a coach. But, you know, my, my love for sports was, you know, hey, I, I never want to actually have to work. 
I, I don't want to have a real job, so to speak. I want to work in sports. That's what I want to do. That's that's where my passion is. And so I was fortunate enough to coach at a lot of different levels. I started uh, my career as a as a, a, a graduate assistant at Kent State University on the men's side. I was uh, Gary Waters. I was the graduate assistant for Gary Waters his first couple years there at Kent State. And then uh, I coached uh, a little bit more on the men's side, and then I had the opportunity to go be a head women's basketball coach down in Texas, uh, 27 years old, NCAA head coach. And after four years there as a head coach, they uh, the school allowed me to seek employment elsewhere. I got resigned, and so uh, I went somewhere else. And so I, I was able to coach women for a number of years, head coaching at a number of different stops, and mainly at the small college level. And then I went, uh, I gave up coaching. I had a great opportunity to go be an athletic director at a school in Indiana, fifth largest high school gym in the world, seats over 7,000 people. Nobody had won more boys' basketball state titles than the school I was at. They had had a number of pro athletes. So it was a great opportunity. So I went there, and I got my John Maxwell uh, certification to be a leader leadership coach. And it was during that time when I was an AD, I got this certification to try to be a better coach or a better athletic director, a better leader. And it was during that time that I realized for the first time really kind of ever that that you could actually make a living at being a leadership consultant and speaking. And uh, and so I, I looked into this and uh, I, I decided to jump, you know, both feet into the deep end. And so uh, for the last four years, I've been working on my own. So I either have a, a terrible boss or a terrible employee sometimes. I, I don't know which one it is. But, uh, yeah, self-employed entrepreneur and work with a lot of teams. And it's been it's been great. So did you feel, you know, a, as your your career was moving along, did you feel like there was a need for your expertise among coaches and administrators? You know, I, I never really thought of it that way until – uh, right before I left organized athletics, because I kind of, I kind of thought that, you know, the only people that are doing leadership development are like ex coaches, like the really good ex coaches, big time guys, you know, uh, and and they're not really doing development; they're just going and speaking, I should say, or the Tony Robbins. You know the 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 big time people. You know, getting fifty thousand bucks for a for a, a speaking gig, and so I thought that that was kind of the only people that were doing that was was the big time Tony Robbins or the big time coaches after they retire. Um, but you know, when I was coaching, I always had a passion for leadership, so I was always bringing in local people. Uh, you know, I would bring in a police officer or a mayor or someone from the bank or a community member or a professor to talk to our team about various topics. So I was always doing that. I was always doing book studies. So for my team, I thought that that was important, but I never really looked outside the bubble, to be honest, my bubble of my team. And then uh, when I went through the John Maxwell training, I started to to think, let my mind wander, you know, let expand my mind and, you know, hey, you know what? I bet that other coaches are kind of going through the same stuff that I'm going through and, and that they could use somebody that's been there. And, you know, that's one of the things that that I think I do well is that I've been where other coaches have been and I've I've been where programs have been and and so like I've had good programs I've had lots of budget money I've also had bad programs I've had low budget money I've been coach of the year I've been fired 
Uh, I've been a good athlete. I've been an athlete whose best friend is the water cooler and the athletic trainer. Uh, you know, I've driven those 15 passenger vans after a loss when our kids are eating sack lunches from the cafeteria. You know, so I've been a lot of places where the coaches have been, and I felt like a long answer to your question. Yeah, once I decided to jump into this, I really felt like I had some perspectives and I had some uh maybe insights that could help people because this wasn't just theory for me. And this wasn't just, you know, I, I went to school, got my, my master's and my, my doctor degree. And, you know, I, I love sports and I'm going to help people because in theory, I know how to do it. This was, you know, I'd been there. I'd been in the trenches in a lot of different situations. So when you're, you're talking to coaches, can you kind of, you know, talk a little bit about, the coaches that you have worked with? I mean, you don't have to name names, you know, and, and like, what are some of the things that you talk about? Yeah, great question. And, and pretty much the thing is we're trying to build healthy cultures. We're trying to build a strong, healthy culture. We believe that everybody has a culture, uh, whether they like it or not, and whether they know it or not, everybody has a culture. And so we're trying to build healthy, strong cultures. And, and some ways that you do that is by having, more positive leaders on your team team member the more team members you can have that are positive leaders and better teammates then the better culture you're going to have that might sound obvious but it's not always um something that that gets an emphasis and the other thing is when you're talking about teammates you're not just talking about the 15 and 16 year olds you're not talking about just the players on the floor you're talking about everybody in your program all the team members they work together to have a uh, to create a, a healthy culture and when you're talking about positive leaders you're talking about everybody in your program once again not just the coach who's the positional leader who has that you know that business card who who has that you know uh, that moniker of coach we're talking about the ninth grader who never plays or the freshman who doesn't play they can be a positive leader and so what we're trying to do is we're almost trying to change the mindset or change the paradigm of if you want to have a strong culture, it's got to be more than just the head coach is in control of everything or the three captains are your only leaders. And so one of the very first things we'll do with coaches and players is we'll talk about perspective and we'll talk about understanding others. And and we'll go through this, uh, you know, quite a bit of examples and, and a lot of activities to help them understand that sometimes Actually, most of the time they see their own tree and not the whole forest. So a coach will go at it from their perspective of, well, these players should, these players should, these players should. And they lose sight of the fact that, well, they're players. They have a different perspective. Players see things differently than the coach. Coach see things differently than the players. And in fact, me as a coach, as a 45-year-old coach, I'm going to see things differently, certainly, than a 16-year-old player, but even my 16-year-old self, you know, going, getting in the DeLorean or getting in the Wayback Machine and, and going back in time, my six, 16-year-old Jamie is different than a 16-year-old now. You know, there's different things on their minds. There's different uh, pressures and, and, and different experiences that they're going through. And so we really try to get both players and coaches to understand each other and to understand the whole situation and to understand the whole forest and not just their tree. And all that comes together to, to build a healthy, strong culture. I'll tell you, one of the reasons that, that I'm doing this podcast is for that exact reason. 
when when I was in ninth grade, I had a coach who just crushed my confidence. And I struggled to get it back. And I vowed to myself, and I've, I've, I've mentioned this, you know, on, on previous podcasts. So sorry if I'm boring you again with this, you know, for anybody who's listened to multiple podcasts. But I, I, I vowed to myself that I would, I would coach everything my kids wanted to play because I vowed I would never do that to a kid. Because to your point, I don't know if we have enough coaches that look at it from the player's perspective and the psyche of these 15, 16, 17-year-old kids and how, or even in college, how fragile they can be. And to hear you say that, Jamie, is so refreshing and to take that approach to try and get the players and the coaches on the same level. Yeah, absolutely, Dave. And, and you know, I, I, I feel for you what you went through in ninth grade, and I hear those kind of stories often. You know, the, the and and my heart goes out to those kids that that experience that. Now, on the flip side, what I will say is, those are great learning lessons for both kids, parents, and you know, I, I'll talk to. I'm, I'm, I, this it's a weird thing because if I'm talking to kids, yes, I don't want it. Like you can tell me about your experience or your bad experience with a coach. I, I want to understand that. I want to understand why you're seeing things. But you know what? We have to rise above that and we have to rebound from that. And we have to still be the leader that we can be no matter what the situation is around us. But then when I'm talking to a coach, I'm going to be like, listen, you you have got to do things differently or you have got to do all you can to add value to these kids to to catch them being good to inspire them so so i guess what i'm saying is no matter who i'm talking to i want them to take a level of personal responsibility but the reality is a coach you're the coach you're the adult in the situation a 16 year old should do certain things yes but they're still a 16-year-old, a 15-year-old, a 14-year-old, or even a college kid. Don't expect them to be an adult. They're not going to be as mature. You need to be the mature adult, and you need to be one that inspires them. Don't sit here and say, well, uh, our, our kids are bored at practice, or our kids don't look engaged, or our kids don't do this, or our kids don't do that. It's your job, your responsibility to figure out how to get them more engaged. Uh, it's your job to work with a ninth-grade Dave you know, way back when, and yeah, you might, you might not like Dave's talent or you might like some of his skills or whatever. You might've had a bad day, but it's your job to figure out how to make Dave the best player Dave can be and to make Dave, uh, to inspire Dave, to inspire Dave, to come to practice, to come to training sessions and, and get the most out of it and be a great teammate. Um, to to be a great friend to his teammates to 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 reach his potential he might not be a starter he might not be a star he might not be a kid getting a college scholarship but help him be the best version of himself that's your job now i would say to a young dave if dave is going through that i'm going to say listen you know life's sometimes going to throw you curveballs but sometimes those curveballs end up in the strike zone. So, so you've got to be not just worried about the curveballs and, 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 you know, getting out of the way. And you've got to be trying to figure out a way to, to face this adversity. And, yes, this is a tough challenge. This is a tough situation. 
but you're going to have tough situations in life. And so how can we make the best of it? And I'll, I'll give you an example. And, and obviously we can't get into all of this. We don't have enough time to get into the deep psychology in every situation. But for instance, let's say a coach says, well, I don't want Jamie shooting the ball. I don't have confidence in Jamie's ability to shoot the ball. That might hurt my confidence, but it also might be true. But what I want to do as a, a leadership coach or a consultant or, or what I should be doing as a basketball coach is even if I say Jamie can't shoot the ball, I need to find ways that Jamie could be valuable to this team. Yes, Jamie, I don't want you shooting the ball in these situations until you've earned that confidence, uh, earned my confidence, until you've earned the ability to do that. But here are three or four different ways that you can help the team immediately. And then here's what we're going to do. Here are one or two or three things that we're going to do to work on your shooting, to help your weakness become more of a, first of all, to become average and then average to good and then good to great. So we're going to constantly be pointing out your strengths and working to maximize uh, what you do well. But then we're also going to be working on the side to help give you a little bit more confidence and make you better in where you're at. And so it, this is it, it's a it's a it's a tough situation because I want everybody to look at it as it's my responsibility to make things as good as possible. So parents, a ninth grader, a coach, whoever it is, needs to be working to make things as good as possible. Um but that's tougher, and the adults have to realize that the kids aren't going to have those experiences, aren't going to have those mature, that maturity to know how to handle adversity and know how to handle things when they come up. So you have to be more patient with them, and, and you have to teach them and, and help them along the way uh, to help them to be better leaders. What you the, the approach you just explained there, to me, is positive psychology. You're, you're building up the player's strengths in order to find them a role. And I am a huge positive psychology guy, Jamie. And this is something that I didn't even really know existed until about a year or so ago, just because I'm, I'm, I was just trying to read up on, on some different things. Cause you know, if you, if you have a teenager or you've had a teenager, you, now you know why I'm reading psychology books, but it, it, it to me is, is so vital. To, to be able to to be able to carve out that role for that player, just like you said, hey, you're not the greatest shooter, but you know what? You're our best defender. You know what? You're, you know, you, you can't get to the rack, but you're probably our best three-point shooter, so we're going to set you up three, four times a game to get you your shots. Now the kid is going to buy in. Is that, the, is that what, we're, what we're going for here? Yeah, 100%, because, because when you're dealing with a team, You've got to make – it's a puzzle, and you've got to make those pieces fit. And and you're also dealing with humans. You're dealing with people that have ego, that have agendas, that have feelings, uh, that have wants, desires, fears, all these kind of things. And so you have to balance these and juggle these as a coach, as a leader, I would even say, uh, more so, as a leader. And and so that's a difficult thing to do because, yeah, I don't want, I don't want Dave shooting a three-pointer. Okay, well, there's – there's multiple ways to go about telling Dave I don't want to shoot a three-pointer. There's also multiple ways of going about putting Dave in positions where maybe he's not shooting three-pointers. And I will give you an example of this. Uh, I was coaching at a school, and we had this hotshot freshman in. She averaged like a bajillion points a game uh, as a high school senior. That's the reason we recruited her. She absolutely just could, could light it up. She could score. 
well, in my offense, she played a certain position. In this position, reversed the ball, made passes, did this, and she constantly, I was yelling at her, I was upset at her, this was earlier, about midway through my coaching career, but I was frustrated because she was screwing up my offense. She wasn't doing what my offense said to do at her position. And and I, I don't remember exactly when that light bulb came on, but it was like, wait a minute, I didn't recruit her to do this. I'm putting her in a position that's setting her up for failure. I'm I'm having her do something that's not playing to her strengths. I recruited the heck out of her to do something different than I'm putting her into. And just because she was a freshman and it wasn't her time yet, I was putting her in a role that wasn't conducive to her. And, and so then I was getting mad at her. Um, and the reality is it's not about my offense. It's not about my offense. It's about our team, our players, and how they can be inspired and utilize their strengths, maximizing strengths, minimizing weaknesses. And I wasn't minimizing her weakness. Um, you know, I wasn't minimizing her her lack of desire to pass. Um, I was putting her in a position where she was it was too much of a temptation and she was doing what came natural, which is why I recruited her. We as coaches do this often. We pu- don't put people in positions for them to succeed. We just put them in positions of convenience. This is where, well, this is where you're going to go in the offense. Um, or, or uh, you know, I don't even think about what, what Dave's specialties are or what his weaknesses are. If Dave can't dribble with his left hand, then I sure as heck bat- better not put him in a position to catch the ball and have to dribble to the left. Um, you know, let's say it's an offense and he has to catch the ball and dribble to the left. Well, if that's not what he does well, then I shouldn't be putting him in a position. And so oftentimes we don't, as coaches, think about how we can maximize the talents and minimize the weaknesses of all our players to get this puzzle to fit together. When you recognize that, did you make the switch and let her score? (laughs) Uh, To a degree, because uh, in, in this specific situation, uh, she wasn't the leading scorer option on our team still. Um, and so what I did was I just mo- I, I changed positions around a little bit. So instead of being stuck on, all right, this three position has to do this or this two position has to do this in basketball, what I did was I put her in a different position. I just changed up her position on certain plays. So not every play, but we, we worked out all right, on every play, could we move the, the positions around a little bit and, and make them more interchangeable and then put her in a different spot so maybe she's the last option, but when she gets the ball, it's, it's, she totally has freedom to do what she does best. Um, so there, it was a little bit more complicated, the solution, but we definitely knew the end game was we've got to stop getting frustrated about something that really is not her fault necessarily we were putting her in in a tough position but you know as leaders that's what you've got to do you know even if you make a mistake early on you've got to try to correct it and and you know a lot of times you talked about positive psychology a lot of time I I talk about positive leadership a lot and positive leadership isn't pom-pom positivity where you know you're this cheerleader at the end of a game with one minute to go and you're you're down 20 points and you're still cheering that you're number one you're going to win you know it's not that rainbows and butterflies, pom-pom positivity where you're not in the real world. Positive leadership is 
listen, we're going to move forward and we're going to find solutions and we're going to be solution focused, not problem fixated. We're going to identify a problem. We're going to recognize a problem, but then we're not going to spend energy on dwelling on that problem. We're going to spend energy learning for, learning about that problem and moving forward to find a solution that's best for this whole situation or this person that we're involved in or, or our whole team. And so positive leadership is about leaders, coaches, finding ways to maximize all 15 of their players if, if you're dealing with a basketball team. You know, keeping that that kid, you know, at the end of the bench whose best friend is the water cooler and the athletic trainer, keeping them engaged, giving them a role, uh, figuring out ways that they can, uh, you know, still help the team and then communicating that with the team to or your, with that with that kid. But yeah, but but to your credit, you, you you recognize the problem and you did something. So you are you are by far are the most decorated guest I've had on the podcast between your podcast and your books and your speaking engagements and your social media followings. So I went and I, and I listened to your podcast with Clark Kellogg and, and, and one of the things that really struck me that, that Clark Kellogg said is when you were talking about coaches and, and the good coaches, the good leaders, the coaches who are good leaders. And he used words like humble, humility, humility, you know, co- coaches that are comfortable in their own skin and that is a recurring theme I've been hearing, whether it's a coach who looks back on their career when they first started and they say, boy, I, I don't know why I was doing that the way I was, you know, because again, like you mentioned, the egos are involved, you know, you're young, you just don't know any better. It's my way or the highway, you know, to when they get some experience under their belt and they can, they're, they're a little more comfortable in their own skin. They can sit back and, and they can say, you know what? I screwed this one up. She shouldn't be. It's my fault. It's on me, you know, or like you mentioned, looking at that kid and finding a role, even, even maybe, you know, either 10 or 11 or 12 on your, on your, on your roster, but finding that role and instead of just ignoring that kid and, and, and not talking to them, you know? And so to me, like everything you're talking about is everything that I want this podcast to be about. Do you feel like culture in general is is talked uh, enough? Uh, are we talking enough about it at this point with coaches? And then I want to get into the whole, you know, uh, athle- you know, the athletic director side of this with you as well. But f- for this question, do you think it's talked about enough amongst coaches? Yes and no. I think it's actually talked about way too much by coaches. It's talked about all the time by coaches. Every time there's a new coach hire, whether the program is good or bad, you talk about, well, we're going to change the culture or we've got to, I look forward to having this strong culture. Like there's always talking about culture, but it's almost this, this, uh, uh, this very ambiguous word that we talk about culture, but we don't actually talk about how to do the culture. And more importantly, we don't actually have a desire to do what's necessary to make a strong culture sometimes because culture is is really, really difficult to to have a strong culture because culture is intentional. Every single day, you've got to fight for your culture and, and whatever that culture is going to be, you're either allowing it or you're emphasizing it. You're reinforcing that culture uh, or you're ignoring what what that is. So so. What I mean by that is every single person, let's say you've been at your job, you're, you're, you're coach, you've coached for five years, 
and you're like, well, I'm not really sure what our culture is. What well, if you're not sure what your culture is? It's probably not very healthy and not very strong. If you say, well, our culture, you know, it it's not where I want it to be. Well, it's because you've allowed that to happen. Now you can talk about circumstances along the way, but at the end of the day. We choose every day as coaches what we're going to emphasize, focus on, or allow. So maybe we're not allowed, we don't want our kids to do X, Y, and Z. You know, they get into trouble or whatever it is. Um, there's a lot of parts to this. But what we've done is we focused on all right, well, I'm going to spend more time planning practice than I am having individual meetings with my players. And so then when you lose touch with your players, it's almost like a slow burn and you you eventually don't realize the reason. You just know that our culture is not where it's at or I've lost touch with our players. Well, that's because every day you were choosing to do something else uh, over this. So you choose X over Y and then eventually it becomes your culture is not where you want it to be. So I think coaches talk about culture all the time. But I don't think they do what's necessary to to build that strong culture that they want. The other part of that is I do believe that there's a lot of coaches out there that are that their culture, they want a culture of just winning. And so their culture is about outcomes and results as opposed to the process, the journey and doing things that's sustainable uh, through the highs and the lows. And, and so there's a lot of coaches out there that get fired, even though their culture was of trying to win, but they were so focused on trying to get that end game and trying to get to the finish line that they forgot even how to get to that finish line. So for college college coaches, uh, oftentimes it's recruiting. You know, we're going to keep recruiting talent, keep recruiting talent, and then I lose a couple years and then, oh, I got to recruit even more talent. And it's like, okay, but what you've been doing the first couple of years wasn't working. It didn't work. You never recruited character kids or you never recruited kids that actually fit into the program or fit where you wanted to be five or 10 years from now. Now, the flip side of that is if you're recruited, if you want five to 10 years from now to win a championship and you're only recruiting talented players, then you forget that you are a team. You forget that you do have to put this puzzle. The pieces have to fit together. And oftentimes talented teams might win a few games in the regular season, but they don't achieve their potential. They don't win those championships because there's there's oftentimes fatal flaws. There's a reason guys like Dabo Sweeney and, and Nick Saban talk about the process and trusting the process. And a lot of us, you know, naysayers or cynics will say, well, yeah, it's easy to talk about the process when you have a bunch of five stars. Well, but the fact of the matter is Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney, I mean, they're playing against other five stars. They're going against other programs that conceivably could be just as good or have nearly as many resources as they do. So it's not like they're playing, you know, the sisters of the poor every week, and that's who they're also recruiting against. So when they talk about process, they're talking about, we know where we want to end up, and we want to be sustainable with that. Something that can withstand the highs and the lows that we are going to go through. Something that's going to withstand, you know, a a Heisman winning quarterback, essentially, or a future, you know, NFL player leaving our program. We can still sustain that because we're doing things the right way, and we've developed even their back or or those kind of things. So that was a really long-winded answer, Dave. I I apologize for that. But I do think coaches talk a lot about culture, but I don't think sometimes – I think their actions betray their words sometimes, and they don't actually live out what they want their culture to be. 
uh, daily, or or they're just wrong in what they want their culture to be. If if they only want winning, I think that's too results oriented. You do not have to apologize because the insight you are providing is just phenomenal. And 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 well, you know, I I 100% agree with with everything you're saying. And and to me, it seems as though like when it comes to culture, it's about approach. And you mentioned it earlier, right? Talking about, you know, like you, you can't get just focused on wins and losses and playing the best kids and, and having your, you know, your your three captains be your leaders. There is there is so much more to it. And, and it's the approach, right? It's the approach at practice, right? One of the things that I keep hearing from whether it's a player or, or a coach is they talk a lot about the big difference maker when it comes to culture, usually it's something that happens off of the court, whether it's a team dinner or, or you know, they just have like, a, you know, a, a retreat somewhere and everybody ends up crying and hugging and holding hands or whatever. But there, there are these off the court moments that I, I don't know, you know, and, I, you know, I don't know. I'm just going to say like, maybe, you know, there are coaches who think, well, we're not going to do that kind of stuff because one, we're going to, we're wasting time. We're wasting time away from the court when we need to be working on our defense. We haven't even put in our, you know, our presses yet. We haven't done this. We haven't done that. I can't be going on a retreat. What is that? How's that going to help us? I, I know, I don't know if, you know, if coaches look at it from that perspective, but I think what, what people need to understand is that is such a big part of building a team culture, those off the court events. Have you found that in your experience as well? Well, a hundred percent, hundred percent. And, and that can look in, that can look a lot of different ways, depending on your program, depending on what your type of team you have, or, or even sports you coach. But if you're only focused on the X's and O's, then you're selling your team and your program and your culture short. Because oftentimes, you know, if if our offense doesn't work in a game, so so let's say we're playing a game tonight and our offense doesn't work. Typically what we'll do is, well, we're going to work on that offense even harder the next day in practice, or we're going to put in a new wrinkle. We're going to put in something new in our offense. We're going to make a tinker X's and O's wise. But the problem might not be the X's and O's. The problem might be that Jalen doesn't trust Chris. Um, or it might be that Jalen trusts Chris, but they have two different agendas. Or they might not trust me as a coach. Or Jalen and Chris don't trust Jawan over here, you know, or their three teammates. And so what happens is we sometimes get blinded by the X's and O's because we feel like that's what we can control. Number one, we can control those things a little bit easier, but number two, they are easier. Just like, uh, all right, if uh, I'm not a marriage counselor, I don't pretend to be a marriage counselor. I probably should go to a marriage counselor, my wife would think. But when my wife and I have an argument or when something's going on, wrong in our marriage, let's say, it's much easier for me to shop, stop at the Shell station on the corner and buy a rose or buy some chocolates or get a card or some balloons than it is to sit down and listen, than it is to have a conversation with her, than it is to do pick up my socks every day, to, to do the little things every single day. Those things are hard to do. The, the daily life things, those are hard to do. What's easy to do is bring a card home, but that's just a temporary thing to bring flowers home. That's temporary. Same way with coaches. We can change up some X's and O's, but we still have the same players. You know, be careful. You know, if you're a basketball coach, be careful solving a people problem or a people issue, a human issue with a basketball solution. That doesn't always work. And so we have got to 
to understand what's, what makes Jalen tick, what makes Jawan tick, what makes Jimmy tick, and understand where they're coming from and understand maybe maybe there's something there. There's some soft skills. There's some, there's some agenda issues. There's some team issues. There's some leadership issues that are causing the play not to work. It might not be the play itself. And so, yeah, all those things you talk about, the, the going off and doing some team building, to having people come in and speak, to addressing things, to nipping things in the bud before they happen. Um, talking about soft skills, the intangibles, those are oftentimes the things that that are going to make or break a team and ultimately make or break your culture. It's not the X's and O's. We all know, every coach in America knows zone plays against the zone defense or man-to-man or underneath, you know, out-of-bounds plays. We all know these X's and O's. It's just who can get the players to execute them the best. And sometimes that's not about, all right, we spend five hours practicing. Sometimes it's about we spend one hour practicing and we're going to spend 30, 45, 60 minutes instead of practicing more. We're going to spend that on some soft skills. We're going to spend that on these players getting to know each other, hanging out with one another, loving on each other, and trusting one another. Yeah, no, I hear it. I've heard it a lot on this podcast, Jamie. Like the 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 whether it's a coach or the players, they they really they talk about you know those experiences off the court. And you said the word. This is another consistent word that I keep hearing is that trust. It 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 they develop that trust. You know, there's 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 a common theme among you know a, a lot of the things I'm hearing. It's like leadership, communication, and trust. And the other three, the, the three major cogs to the leadership, communication, and trust are the players, the coaches, and the parents. It all goes hand in hand because when you, when you have the leadership and, and, and the trust, and then you're going to get the buy-in and everybody's buying in and everybody's working toward, everybody's working towards the same goal and they're going to protect your culture. Yeah, and and everybody, you 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 just brought up. I mean, you mentioned it, hit upon it. Everybody's a part of your program. Everybody has to be bought in. There has to be ownership on so many different levels. And so, coaching is not as easy as it used to be, where you just show up two hours a day, you do your practice, and everything's good. You know, there's parents involved. There's AAU coaches involved. There's there's you know, obviously the kids and the coaches involved, there's administrators involved, boosters involved. There's so many different people involved. And you know what? The reality is whether we like it or not, they're all part of the program. So, so you, you personally, you, you're the parent of a high school athlete right now. You are part of that program, whether the coach likes it or not, whether he likes you or not, it doesn't matter. You are part of that program. As long as that kid ever talks to you, as long as your kid, your son ever talks to you, comes home, you are part of that program because you're going to have his ear at different points. You're going to have some influence on that person. And so as a coach, you can't just shun the parent because you don't want to have to deal with them. They are part of your program. And, and the more that you can get that parent, every parent on your team, the more you can get them to invest in the program and take some ownership. Uh, in what happens to that culture, what happens to that program, the better culture you're going to have. And, and certainly, we're not talking about utopian society or, or you know heaven on earth where everything's going to be perfect. There, it's never going to be perfect. But what you can do is make sure that you're striving to do all that you can as a coach to bring all stakeholders, uh, administrators, coaches, uh, players, uh, uh, managers, uh, uh, the athletic trainers, 
uh, boosters and parents bring all those stakeholders together um, and and so that they see your vision that they buy into that vision and and they're all everybody's going forward together moving that group moving that culture moving that program forward and and that's difficult to do but that's why I think that coaches, by and large, spend way too much time at practice. Now, I know that that sounds weird, but they spend too much time doing the X's and O's. They're not, first of all, we as coaches need to do a better job of organizing and planning our practices. John Wooden, you know, we all love John Wooden, but John Wooden would constantly say he spends more time planning his practice than the actual practice. How many of us as coaches do that? We need to be so dialed in with what we're going to accomplish in in a certain drill at a certain practice that we don't have to have a two or two and a half hour practice if we don't have to have it that day. And so then maybe we can spend a little bit more time, you know, chumming it up with our players or, or laughing it up with our players or meeting with our, our our parents or doing these other things that actually are the things that can make or break a culture behind the scenes. Because oftentimes it's not that the play didn't work because your players aren't very good. Oftentimes it's because, you know what, your players just don't care about another teammate or your players don't like you because the parent has been talking about you way too much. And so they don't buy in 100% when the play is called. 100% agree. What about the athletic director's role in in helping with the culture? And does it start with hiring the right person? Yeah, that's that's an awful important thing. And and uh, you know, once again, I really feel like everybody has uh, a huge part in the culture of a program. So if I'm talking with athletic directors. You know, I don't need to hear that your coaches are idiots. I don't need to hear that the players are different nowadays and they're soft and not committed. Yeah, all those things might be true, but you as an AD can only do what you can do. You can only control what you can control. And so what can you control? Well, you can control how you coach up your coaches. You can control how you lead. You can control your interactions with kids. You know, if they hand in the paperwork and it takes one and a half minutes to hand in paperwork, are you going to spend that 90 seconds just being all businesslike, or are you going to take 90 seconds to maybe say a kind word or a good word to that athlete and, and move them on their, their way so that the next 10 minutes they're excited about life or excited about being an athlete in so-and-so's program? Um, you can control certain things. And so, yeah, as an AD, who you hire is important, who you surround yourself with. What, what are you looking for? What, what's the process of hiring? You know, if you're only looking at this coach or that coach because they won someplace else, then, then you're short-sighted in who you're hiring. You know, I, I was, um, I was, uh, I, I, when I'm on the road, I always try to find places for Wi-Fi. You know, I'm, I'm like everybody else. And so I'm at a McDonald's one day, uh, two summers ago before the pandemic. And at the booth next to me, they're doing interviews. McDonald's is doing interviews. And this person, the manager all day long is doing interviews. And this one person, I, I overheard him. This one person comes in to be interviewed and the manager's like, well, I'm really sorry. I lost your resume or I couldn't find it right before you came in. You know, just tell me a little bit about yourself. And so for the next five minutes, the person told them about themselves. And at the end of that five minutes, the, the manager was like, you know what, um, when, when do you think you could start? And the person told them and they're like, okay, well, let, let's go ahead and get started next week. Um, I'll get you your schedule and we're good to go. Now, I obviously don't know what happened before that, but from the tone of the conversation, I'm guessing that they had never met. They had never talked before. But here was essentially five, maybe 10 minutes at most, they had this interview. And this could have been maybe a one-off, but 
they hired a person very quickly without really doing much background, without knowing much about this person. Contrast that to Chick-fil-A, who sometimes people that are hired at Chick-fil-A have to go to two or three different interviews because Chick-fil-A wants to make sure that they're hiring the right fit, the right person, um, that they're going to fit their culture, that they're going to be a person. And then, you know, hey, if we've all been to McDonald's, we've probably never left a McDonald's saying, man, this was awesome, awesome customer service. Man, I just the customer service at McDonald's is awesome. That's not why we go there. But almost all of us. We go to Chick-fil-A, we're like, man, you know, there's just something different about them. They And every Chick-fil-A is the same. Every Chick-fil-A has has people that, that treat you well, and if there's a problem, they try to fix that problem. Uh, they don't l- look at the who's the blame or all that. So that's a, a long-winded kind of story to come back to. There are certain companies, businesses, there are certain organizations that always hire good coaches because they're not just looking at flashiness. They're not just looking at your wins and loss. They're not just looking at convenience. They're trying to hire uh, to fit. They're trying to put this puzzle together and they're trying to put the pieces together. Just like a coach recruiting, an AD needs to find culture builders. They need to find people that that are more than just X's and O's. That should be the last thing they're worried about is is what system you run, what style of offense you run, uh, you know, what's your X's and O's. That should be the last thing they're concerned about um, because that can change. But what shouldn't change is how are they going to treat people? How are they going to treat their assistants? You know, what kind of vision do they have? Are they going to actually build a culture? Are they going to be a tumbleweed? And every time the wind blows, they're going to blow this direction. And then they're going to go back this other direction when the when the wind changes direction, um, and that's what a lot of coaches are like. They they we we are constantly panicking. We're constantly tinkering and readjusting things uh, that are major things because we're trying to find something that works right now. Um, and and the reality is that's not sustainable, and that's not where you get your championship cultures from. Such great insights, coach. If somebody wants to bring you in. To, to talk to their team or even, you know, their business, you know, how can they get a hold of you? Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, if they're on Twitter, uh, that's a great way to follow me at Coach Beckler on Twitter. Um, we we just launched in January and we're very, very excited about this. The leadershipplaybook.com. It's an online uh, program for coaches and athletic departments. It's it's I think it's amazingly cheap and uh, people essentially get me. Uh, they get me, uh, my years of expertise and and knowledge and failures and learning from those failures and successes and learning from those successes. And they get me as a consultant. Uh, they don't get my team. They get me. And they get uh, we have uh, hundreds of two-minute lessons that their players can watch on their phones or tablets to help them be better teammates and more positive leaders and ultimately build stronger cultures. So the leadershipplaybook.com is a, is a great uh, resource tool for coaches and ADs that uh, a lot of people are already taking, taking advantage of. And, and with that, they, they get a virtual presentation that's included in their membership and they get significant discounts if they want to bring me in or, or buy my books. Well, you know, your, your Twitter feed to me is, is phenomenal, you know, with, with the information that, that you put up there and the advice that, that's already there for coaches and, you know, athletic directors, administrators, whoever, people in the business world can, can look at and learn from. And, you know, and the insights you shared today are just phenomenal. If you can, can you just kind of, can, can you give me that, that uh, elevator 
speech for if a coach or an athletic director walks on the elevator next to you right now, what is the most important thing you would tell them? You know, if they if they want to change their culture for the good, where do they start? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, understanding that it's about the people. Understanding you as a leader, you're not the leader because you have a business card or because you have a website. You're a leader because you take people from where they are to where they need to be, where they want to go. And so you influence people and it's about people. It's one-on-one, person-to-person, and then you do that enough and your whole team is going to move where, where it needs to go. So, Jamie, before I let you go, we always do something, and I, I cannot wait to hear your answer. I always like to play what's the coolest with, with, with my guests. And I'm going to ask you right now, what is the coolest place you've ever played, coached, watched a game? What's the coolest? <laughs> well, I did a clinic two years ago, and I, I'm going to do a, a, a repeat of that clinic in August with uh, United Basketball Clinics. But they uh, did one at Hoosier Gym, which is where Hoosier, uh, Knightstown, Indiana, it's where uh, Hoosiers was filmed, the little gym. And so uh, they, it's decorated just like the movie was. And so doing a clinic there was awesome. I got to shoot an underhanded shot uh, like Ollie did, and those are harder to do than, than I thought it would be. And, uh, you know, lots of pictures taken, but, but that's a cool clinic at Hoosier gym, uh, that United basketball clinics puts on. So that, that's cool. Um, and I, I, this isn't the coolest place I coached, but, um, I, I used to go to a place called Fisk university or, uh, excuse me, excuse me, Talladega university in Alabama, Talladega university in Alabama. And they would, they would crank up the heat in their gym and they'd put their band right behind our bench. And I swear their band did not play a single real song that whole night. They just blasted their trumpets and their trombones and their drums as loud as they humanly it was humanly possible. And they were literally right behind our bench the whole time, just jamming as loud as they could. And so that was a great home court advantage for Talladega College. So it wasn't cool for a visiting team, but I, I definitely thought that would be cool if I was the home team and uh, and had that visiting band right behind us. Well, those are two those are two great ones, two great experiences. I'd love to get to that gym. I, I've been to uh – Bobby Plump's restaurant in in Indianapolis, and now I don't know if a lot of people know, but Jimmy Chitwood is not. That's the movie name. Bobby Plump is the guy who hit the who hit the shot, and the shot did happen. But there's a whole the whole story is at the restaurant in Indianapolis, and I've been there because I got a buddy who lives in Indianapolis. I said you got to take me to the restaurant. I got to know because I love Hoosiers, and uh, so I need to put that on the bucket list. I need to get to that gym. Jamie Beckler, I cannot thank you enough for carving some time out for uh for us today i really appreciate your insights and coming on the podcast absolutely dave i appreciate it enjoyed the conversation thanks so much for uh, all you do i i know uh you're trying to help change uh change coaching athletes uh cultures one one podcast one person at a time and so i appreciate what you're doing for the game that's it yeah and then and that's really that's that's what it's about so jamie thank you so much again and hey if you know a great coach out there who's doing great things winning games and building a great team culture at the same time i want to hear about them we may even ask them to be a future guest on the podcast you can reach out to me on twitter at courtside pod number one or on facebook and instagram at Courtside Culture Podcast. Remember, folks, build up your players' strengths. Find them all a role, and you will take them from good to great. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us on the Courtside Culture Podcast. And remember, 
Build the good in your players instead of focusing on repairing the bad. Find your players a role, each and every one of them, and take them from good to great. We'll see you next time.